Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I'm Abby Hornacek. I'm Ben Dominich. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, February 26th, 2024, on Mike Emanuel. A win for former President Trump in Nikki Haley's home state of South Carolina. Some of his supporters say it's time to pivot and take on President Biden in support of the former president. He's going to win it all. He will win every state. He's going to win the vast majority of delegates. There is no path for victory for Nikki Haley or anyone else. I'm Chris Foster. It's a vicious cycle. Convicted criminals getting out of prison, becoming homeless, committing more crime, then back to prison. There are many men and women behind bars who come out of prison every single day ready for something new. And yet they face that same prison of homelessness. And I'm Jessica Tarlov. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. A new week in American politics will feature a fascinating showdown on Capitol Hill when President Biden's son Hunter sits for his deposition with House lawmakers on Wednesday as Congress continues its probe of Biden family business dealings. House Oversight Chairman James Comer offered a preview. The Bidens were very involved as a family in influence peddling. I mean, when Jim Biden says he has a 50-year career in uh, in business, uh, the only business that I can find over the course of that 50 years revolves around Joe Biden selling the brand. There's also a lot of blame game in Washington over the crisis at our southern border, with Republicans in Congress blaming the president, Mr. Biden blaming Congress. Georgia Republican Governor Brian Kemp says Biden already has the power to fix it. This is an issue that the president can take action on. And I know he's trying to blame, you know, inaction in Congress. That is passing the buck. In presidential politics, a huge win over the weekend for former President Trump in South Carolina. I just want to say that I have never seen the Republican Party so unified as it is right now. Never been like this. Not total unity as former Governor Nikki Haley remains in the race, even though she lost to Mr. Trump in her home state. I'm not giving up this fight when a majority of Americans disapprove of both Donald Trump and Joe Biden. The South Carolina Republican chairman Drew McKissick offered this assessment. I mean, what we saw last night was a blowout. You know, no two ways to, to parse it. Mm-hmm. You know, 20 points is a blowout. Uh, Not only that, but you saw Donald Trump get the most votes anybody has ever received in a statewide primary. Now some are calling for Haley to bow out so the GOP can rally behind the former president. Well, it was another massive victory, another historic victory in another Republican primary election. He's going to win it all. He will win every state. He's going to win the vast majority of delegates. South Carolina Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace is our guest today. There is no path for victory for Nikki Haley or anyone else, and it's time to unite behind the presumptive nominee, and that's Donald Trump, because 
The last thing we want to do is give the Democrats any more fire. We need to stop taking shots at Donald Trump. That includes Nikki Haley, whom I respect because she was the first female governor of South Carolina. She was a great governor. But we got to stop taking shots at Donald Trump. We got to start taking on Joe Biden so we can win the White House back. And that starts today. Has this been at all awkward for you since Nikki Haley's one of your constituents and so is Senator Tim Scott, who was a candidate at one point? Well, it's actually very it's interesting because it's historic. I don't know another member of Congress that has had not one, but two constituents running for president at the same time. And obviously, I respect Senator Scott. I respect Governor Haley immensely. Both of them have made history in South Carolina. They're both liked by South Carolina, but South Carolina loves Donald Trump, which is why he's running away with the nomination. And I think they both have a really bright future once we get beyond uh, 24. Senator Lindsey Graham and state GOP chair Drew McKissick joined President Trump on stage after his win in the state where they were booed by voters. What do you make of that? Well, we had a very energized group of voters and they like they like to make their feelings known. But at this juncture, you know, we all have to come together and we've all got to get behind Donald Trump. If we're going to win in November, that means we've got to bring together different parts of the Republican Party. We have to bring independents, right of center, left of center folks into the fold and start unifying behind the man who can beat Joe Biden. And that's Donald Trump. President Trump continues to tease his pick for vice presidential nominee with Senator Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, Congresswoman Stefanik, some of the names on the short list. Do you have a favorite? Well, I certainly am going to be biased towards Senator Tim Scott of all the names mentioned. They're all great people. They're all great conservatives. And I hope that, you know, it'll be up to Donald Trump to pick his running mate. But I hope that it will be someone who can bring over pockets of voters that we're going to need in November. And I think Tim Scott would be a great uh, person to do that. To Capitol Hill, the GOP-led House continues its calls for the Senate to take up an impeachment trial of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. There's been some speculation that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer may not even hold a trial. Do you think that Senate Democrats will take up impeachment and what do you expect would come out of a trial? Oh, absolutely not. I don't expect them to take up impeachment. If they do, I I would be surprised if they did, because this is the number one issue driving people to the polls and certainly Republican leadership, Republican policy, Donald Trump leadership, Donald Trump policy is winning voters over because every city and every town and every state has now become a border city, a border town, a border state. We've had an invasion of eight million illegals coming across this country. We have mayors like Eric Adams Um, putting uh, illegals into schools and luxury housing, giving them $10,000 worth of cash and credit cards, uh, treating them better than we treat our own citizens. And this isn't going to fly. There's more violence on the streets. There's more fentanyl. There's more human trafficking, more sex trafficking, all because Joe Biden wants an open border. He wants those illegals to vote in our elections. And he wants to transform our country into a country we don't recognize. And that's not what people want. Americans want, by and large, people to come here legally follow our laws, and come here the way that everybody else has. There's likely more fuel to the fire after a nursing student at the University of Georgia was murdered over the weekend, allegedly by an illegal immigrant from Venezuela. It's such a tragic story. And unfortunately, it's one that is playing out over and over again in every state in the country. And in fact, we have a state lawmaker 
who Stuart Jones, who has told his story of being the godparent to a four-year-old girl, and the, the illegal who murdered her was deported and sent back under Donald Trump, but let back in under Joe Biden. And he murdered this little girl in the state of South Carolina. And it's tragic to hear these stories. We shouldn't hear these stories. These stories should not be happening, but they're happening under Joe Biden. The Biden administration is considering executive orders on immigration to help stem the flow of migrants into the nation. What actions do you think could be taken? And do you think these executive orders could be effective in helping solve the border crisis? Just in time for the election season, like where has Joe Biden been for the last three years? In fact, the very first day he was sworn into office, by the time the sun set, he had reversed every good policy, border policy of Donald Trump, including halting right in the middle of construction, a wall at the southern border including Title 42, including Remain in Mexico, every good idea, every good policy Donald Trump have, Joe Biden reversed. And you know now he's paying the price for it. They're probably seeing the polling on it and seeing how Donald Trump can beat Joe Biden on just about every single issue, but in particularly on border security. I think it'll be too little too late. I hope that he can help stem the tide of illegal immigration, but will it happen by November? We'll have to see. There's also the investigation into Biden family business dealings. We saw President Biden's younger brother, James, testifying behind closed doors on Capitol Hill. A long day of testimony in front of House Republicans and House lawmakers looking into their business dealings. What did you make of the testimony and where do you think this investigation is heading? Well, from what I've heard so far, James Biden likely committed perjury. I mean, the Biden brand is nothing but perjury and lies. And we know that there is evidence of Joe Biden being involved. We know that there are checks or loan doc loans with no loan documents. We know that there were business deals done with no business documents. Um, and, you know, if your last name is Biden, there's a separate system of justice. There is no justice for you when you break the law. And of course, Hunter Biden is due on the Hill this coming week. That should be uh, quite a moment uh, on Capitol Hill. Absolutely. But it's good that he's finally um, taken us up on the subpoena, the lawful subpoena that we issued. And I found it disgusting when in January he came to the Oversight Committee to defy the subpoena, to give his to give a middle finger to America that he is better than everybody else. And there'll be hundreds of questions asked of Hunter Biden. I hope that he'll tell the truth. I doubt it, but we'll see what he says. Okay. Congress is also looking to avoid a government shutdown in March with deadlines in the first week of the month. Are you hopeful deals get reached for funding or do you think we're just going to punt it a couple more months again? I wouldn't be surprised if there was an attempt to do an omnibus or minibus or another short-term CR. Schumer has everything he needs to keep the government open. He has appropriations bills from House Republicans, but he refuses to take them up. So if the government shuts down, this is the Schumer shutdown. And I won't take any other answer because I know what the facts are. And the facts are that House Republicans have sent him spending bills, have sent him appropriations bills in the lawful, legal way. And he has refused to take them up, including border security. So this is all on him. Obviously, the job of House Speaker is difficult when you have such a narrow majority. Um, obviously, you were one of the folks who was unhappy with former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Now you've got Mike Johnson in the job with even fewer GOP members. How's he doing? And do you feel for him trying to lead the conference forward uh, with such a narrow majority? Well, he inherited a lot of most of all these bad deals are the part of Kevin McCarthy. And in fact, Kevin McCarthy led us to one of our most narrow 
majorities ever in our history. We should have had more seats, but because he failed at the ballot box in 22 and didn't pay attention to the issues that mattered, like abortion, we didn't gain as many seats as we should have. And then he quit on the Republican conference. Kevin McCarthy put our majority at risk again by quitting halfway through his term. And uh, then he gave all these bad deals to Mike Johnson. So I commend Mike Johnson for for trying to figure this out. But there are factions within our party, and I've sat in these rooms, these private meetings, and I've seen how hard Mike Johnson works. I've seen how smart he is and how good he is at the job, only to be to have the rug taken out from under him by members of our own party. I've been a part of conversations where he is trying to attach border security to spending measures, and we have certain factions within our party who say that they're going to kill the bill if he does that. And so um, we are our own worst enemy right now. We should all be supporting Mike Johnson. He's very smart. He is holding the line on immigration and the border. And we ought to support him. And those that don't ought to be outed for it. Do you think if they don't get their way that some of your colleagues on the right may try to get rid of him? I, I don't think that will happen. I mean, I, I could be wrong here, but I have a lot of confidence in how Mike Johnson is operating. And it's not his fault that there are people, some of them are Kevin McCarthy loyalists, who are trying to sabotage him at every chance they get. And I've been witness to those meetings. I've seen it. It's disgusting. It's gross. And these are people who are putting putting their ego and the interests of Kevin McCarthy above our country and her citizens. And it's time to put a stop to it. Congresswoman Nancy Mace of the great state of South Carolina. A pleasure picking your brain. I wish you a wonderful week. You too. Thank you. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. I'm Benjamin Hall, Fox News correspondent and New York Times bestselling author. Join me for my brand new podcast, Searching for Heroes. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. This is Jessica Tarlov with your Fox News commentary coming up. Crime and homelessness are on a lot of voters' lists of concerns going into this year's elections. Sometimes those go hand in hand. Men and women who've been incarcerated are much more likely to become homeless and then much more likely to return to a life of crime. It's harder to get a job, harder to find a place to live, and depending on the state, it can cost parolees extra money to be out in fines, court costs, and prison fees, then supervision fees, drug tests, and counseling. So, a vicious cycle that prison fellowships trying to break. Going out into the world, I would like for people to give me a fair chance for who I am because I'm not the same person that I was when I came in. It's the world's largest Christian nonprofit organization for prisoners, former prisoners, and their families. Prison Fellowship was founded by Charles Colson after he served time in prison for the Watergate scandal. Vice President Kate Trammell. While Chuck was incarcerated, he really uh, was on his heart to create a ministry that would help connect the local church with men and women behind bars and their families. So flash forward to today, nearly 50 years later, Prison Fellowship is the nation's largest Christian outreach to men and women behind bars and their families and a leading voice for justice reform. You point out as a success story, uh, Brandon Boyce. Now tell people about him. Uh, His circumstances are like a lot of people who've been in prison, but just use him as a jumping off point. 
Yeah. So Brandon Boyce is a colleague of mine at Prison Fellowship and someone who I regard with just tremendous um, esteem and, and courage. You know, Brandon served time in prison. When he left prison, um, he actually tried really hard to establish himself in his community. He wanted to give back. He was ready to be different. Um, and yet Brandon lived in the woods in his community for the first two years after prison. He now reflects on that time and calls it in such a moving way, the prison of homelessness, finding his next meal, identifying where his next income would come from was very, very difficult. And as you would imagine, Brandon pretty quickly found himself back in prison. So in prison, Brandon decided to turn his life around. He attended Bible studies. He took on leadership roles in the prison. And when he was released, he had networked with a prison ministry volunteer who offered his, him a job and ultimately changed his life forever. Brandon's story feels very unusual unless you know people who are coming out of prison. There are many men and women behind bars who come out of prison every single day ready for something new. And yet they face that same prison of homelessness. Yeah. So Brandon's story is a great reminder to us, Chris. I mean, let's people say, well, they paid their debt to society. It's a it's a clean slate, but it's really not. I mean, let's let's talk about that debt keeps getting paid in a lot of ways. Um Let's talk about some of the hurdles that people might not know about and some of the ways that might they may, might be easier to overcome. Uh, for example, it's hard for some people with a criminal record to get a job. It's hard to get licensed in some states uh, for some jobs. So even if you try to, to get in, you can't. You know, the first thing that I always think about with this issue is that there are many, many people like Brandon coming out of prisons and jails across America every day. Estimates place it at about one in every three Americans has a criminal record of arrest, conviction, or incarceration. So that is a lot of the people in our nation. And based sometimes just on arrest, sometimes on conviction, and sometimes on spending time in prison or jail, we have about uh, 44,000 legal restrictions in our country based on, on that experience alone that prohibit things like access to education, access to employment, transportation, um, photo IDs, um, housing, right? Things that we know are essential pillars of success. Things that I take for granted every day. Yeah. The ability to get in my car, go to my job, volunteer at my kid's school. Um, and as you mentioned, there are, in fact, steeper restrictions around participation in things like licensed employment. So the further you get towards attempting success with a criminal record, the more barriers you face. Some, some of it just doesn't seem why. Like, why can't you get a license to, I can't think of, a, you'll have to name an, an occupation or two that, 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 that is harder to get a license if you have a criminal record or a felony record. But what's the logic there? I can see, okay, maybe you can't have a job in law enforcement or something. But if you're trying to be a barber or drive a backhoe, who cares what your record is? You know, at Prison Fellowship, we believe that the only restriction someone should face after they satisfy their punishment, you know, they've been held accountable, they're ready for a new life, the only restrictions they should face should be really tied to public safety. But what we see are all of these bureaucratic laws on the books that are kind of blanket bans for people with a criminal record. They are good character clauses. They're things that say, unless you have a spotless history, you may not participate in a profession that has actually no bearing on public safety. And what this does is it not only is a hurdle, it actually is a wall that holds people back. 
And when you evaluate just the impact of that on any given life, right, if you make it tremendously difficult to have a job that can pay your bills, it's going to be very difficult to pay off court fines. It's going to be very difficult to make rent, to uh, establish custody of your children, to be able to have educational attainment, the things that we hold people coming out of prison accountable for, their success, their safety are the same things that we bar them from every day with these kinds of rules. Well, obviously, it's harder to put together a work history and a credit history if you've been locked up. So it's harder to rent, maybe. And look, this goes for all people, not just people who have served time. But think about how much harder it is to look for and get a job if you don't have a staple, if you don't have a place to keep your clothes or wash your clothes or wash yourself or keep a phone plugged in. I mean, you have to get that phone and pay for that phone, a way to pay for transportation. It's just, um, what can people do? What can governments do to, to try to alleviate some of this? When I think of this issue, Chris, I think of my friend Joy, um, who herself experienced incarceration, came out of that, was immediately the caregiver to her young children. And Joy lived in her car. And she lived in homeless shelters as she looked for a job. Um, She got a job. She established herself. Now she is running on years of success and contribution in her community. But how can we set people like Joy up for success, right? There are some really simple paths forward. One is looking at laws that prohibit access to employment, education, and housing based solely on a criminal record. We really want to focus that analysis on safety. Right. So if there's unsafe behavior, yes, absolutely. People should be able to consider that. Right. And as you mentioned, maybe someone with a fraud crime may not be the best bank teller. Right. But they should absolutely be able to participate in industry that enables them to be a contributing member of their community. So a lot of these concerns are really practical. And there are states taking this up all over the country who have made tremendous strides in access to employment and housing for men and women who have that criminal record and want to start over. Um, and, you know, even if you don't know someone like Joy, even if you can't relate to the story of Brandon, um, what we can all relate to is a desire for safety in our neighborhoods. Research shows that people who secure stable housing after being released from prison are much less likely to return to a life of crime. So if we think about how to solve issues like homelessness and crime, there are some really practical steps we can take to be good neighbors. Well, there's a catch-22 there because, as you know, people are going to say, I want my neighborhood to be safe. I don't want crime to be committed there. But they're also going to say, I don't want criminals there, which is how a lot of people are seen after they're out of prison. So what do you say about, what do you do about the not in my backyard? You know, what I'd say is people with a past can have a bright future. In our culture, we are big believers here in this country in the American dream, but we put a major caveat on it for people who have made a mistake in their past and have paid their debt. What I'd love to see is an environment where we can look at our neighbors and our potential neighbors for who they are today, mindful of whether they're going to be a safe and contributing neighbor. That's fine, right? But based on who they are today, many, many men and women who have experienced crime and incarceration are ready for a fresh start. Like Brandon, you know, they're coming out, having a transformed life, having been a leader in their environment, which is one of the most difficult places you can be a positive leader, which is prison, and wanting to give back. So those men and women, they should be able to participate in the American dream. What do you tell people who are maybe not as charitable as you or as forgiving as you, who say, you know what, too bad, all of it. Um, 
here's a good incentive to not commit crime in the first place, because not only are you going to do this time, you're going to have a harder life afterward. Well, I hear that all the time, Chris. And I, I would just say one of the things that I think a lot about as someone who studies policy and works in lawmaking is what is the incentive? We talk a lot about deterrence and it is a valuable tool, but here what you see is the balance is off. We have such a significant deterrence that it actually isn't preventing people from committing crime, but it's a bigger net. It's catching people who would otherwise be safe, but because they can't obtain housing, they are themselves at risk of being a victim of crime. They are much more likely to commit crime themselves. And so at some point, deterrence arguments can tip the scale to actually contribute to crime, to contribute to violence in neighborhoods. And that's really what we're dealing with here. Um, you've talked a little bit about criminal justice reform. Uh, I know you guys do a lot of in-prison programming, something I didn't know about that I'm interested in. Tell people about the, the Angel Tree program. So Angel Tree is a program of prison fellowship that is really created to reach kids with incarcerated parents and connect them with a local church and with positive experiences. I love this work that we do at Prison Fellowship because it really gets at the heartbeat of the connection between uh, religious beliefs, prevention of crime, and caring about our neighbors, right? So the Angel Tree program has several components. You know, one thing that we do that we get really excited about um, is Angel Tree Christmas, where local churches are equipped to provide Christmas gifts on behalf of an incarcerated parent to their children. We also have Angel Tree Camping, where kids with incarcerated moms and dads are provided scholarships and opportunities to go to summer camp experiences, which is a positive impact on their life for the future. And those are just a couple of the ways that the Angel Tree Program supports kids with incarcerated parents, caregivers who are taking care of them in this difficult time and helps to break that cycle of crime and incarceration that none of us want to see in our neighborhoods and in our neighbors. How do you guys get funding? You want to ask for a little help? You know, we're really grateful to be supported by regular people all over this country who care about their neighbors in prison and what they're like whenever they come home. So if you're interested in supporting the work of Prison Fellowship, you can go to www.prisonfellowship.org, and we'd love to partner with you in this work. Kate Trammell, Vice President of Prison Fellowship. Kate, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, the Supreme Court set to hear oral arguments on two separate lawsuits over free speech and censorship. The first on whether social media platforms are subject to constitutional requirements of free speech, and the second on whether social media platforms can censor speech based on the viewpoints of the user. Tuesday, residents of Michigan will be the latest to cast their vote in the presidential nomination race. Wednesday, Hunter Biden takes part in a closed-door deposition with the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees. The congressional groups are sitting down with the first son as part of their impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Republicans argue Hunter Biden peddled influence to foreign interest while his father was vice president, with both of them benefiting financially. Democrats in the White House are calling the impeachment inquiry partisan politics. Thursday, just like the Olympics, it comes once every four years. It's Leap Day. About five million people in the world are born on February 29th, with the odds of being born on Leap Day around 1 and 1,461. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Tom Graham, Fox News.
Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jessica Tarlov. What's on your mind? I'm not a religious person and usually steer clear of invoking God whenever I can, but I found myself lately thinking a lot about the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. The message is applicable to all facets of our lives, but it's hitting a particularly poignant note in my life right now as a Democrat and strong supporter of Joe Biden. I wouldn't say that I was living in a Biden is old denial before, but something feels different since the release of special counsel Robert Hur's report. Biden's attractors and, more importantly, his supporters are being much more forthcoming with their concerns about what a second term looks like for a man that will be in his mid-80s. Evidence of the shift abounds. ABC News' most recent polling shows 86 percent of Americans think Joe Biden is too old to serve another term as president, which includes 73 percent of Democrats and 91 percent of independents. It was high before, but in the 70s. We're in new territory. John Stewart made his triumphant return to The Daily Show desk, and he used his monologue to, in typical Stewart form, call a spade a spade, even if that spade is an old Democrat. And The New York Times' Ezra Klein, who believes Biden has had a hugely successful first term, went where many have steered clear. He encouraged Biden to step down as a hero. I'm not where Klein is, but you'd be a fool to not consider the veracity of his argument or Stewart's point that if Biden is as vigorous as his surrogates, people like senior advisor Mitch Landrieu and Senator Chris Coons claim, then the White House should show the public that evidence. I personally would devour the footage and promote it far and wide. I do want to be clear about how gratuitous her report was. It was gross and excessive, partisan and biased, but it leaves us in a major pickle. Here we are looking at a tremendous record of accomplishment over the last three years, asking ourselves what can be done to ensure Joe Biden wins a second term on November 5th. And that's where the serenity prayer hits home. What can't we change? His age. What can we change? How we campaign. A change in approach doesn't mean hiding Biden away. I know some fear whatever gaffe may come, but I'm not one of them. I think he does a pretty great job out there with supporters, giving foreign policy speeches, opening manufacturing plants, working picket lines, visiting hurricane sites, and whatever else he's shown up. What's more, Republicans would be over the moon if they had the kind of results Biden has delivered to campaign on. How do I know? They try and take credit for them at every turn. The challenge I'm setting for myself, and hope other Democrats will take on, is to only talk in accomplishments. There's no need to pretend otherwise. Biden's old. Just concede it. But there's a huge education gap when it comes to what he's actually delivered for the American people, and having that knowledge will help us close the chasm being created by fears over his competency. Some major wins that get little airtime include expanding overtime guarantees for millions, forcing Chinese companies to open their books, fixing bridges, building tunnels, and expanding broadband, as well as lowering the cost of prescription drugs and providing Obamacare coverage to millions more. And then there is, of course, the low unemployment, soaring stock market, cooling inflation, and record-high oil production that is reinforced regularly, but could always use some more love. Democrats all over the country are wondering how we can be running against a party whose leading candidate spends more time in a courtroom than the campaign trail and is one of the most reviled Americans and still have to worry about the outcome. But here we are, and the only path I can see to victory is to stop getting bogged down in useless games of coy wordplay and defense of unchangeable facts. The voters aren't interested in our spin about an immutable characteristic. What they're interested in hearing about is the real tangible benefits of a Biden presidency and his plans for the future. And Democrats have one amazing story to tell. 
Jessica Tarlov, co-host of The Five and Democratic Strategist. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 